Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, the podcast where we go deep on the day's news. Today, we're going to talk about a difficult topic. What happens after a sexual assault when a survivor is trying to get justice? We started to dig into this after a man was arrested for allegedly groping several women in downtown Chicago. And the women he was accused of attacking began to tell their stories to a local reporter. That local reporter is Melody Mercado from Block Club Chicago. We also spoke with one of her sources, Mallory Littlejohn, legal director for the Chicago Alliance Against Sexual Exploitation. Melody, let's get the backstory here. When and where did these alleged assaults take place and what happened? So um, they kind of happen in in different various spots, but all centralized in downtown, either along the uh, the Lakeshore Path or along Michigan. And a lot of the women that were um, unfortunately targeted um, were either walking home, doing regular things, walking home, walking their dog, just trying to get some fresh air and um, all of a sudden, they feel this man grabbing them from behind. My goodness. Um, yes. Uh, very alarming for sure. Very alarming. So so Block Club spoke to several survivors. Um, their stories are very heartbreaking to read, first of all. Um, what did folks tell you about like what they experienced, not just during, but even after the assault? So the first person that I spoke to, um, her uh, assault happened in May. And at first she didn't even report it because she said she didn't think that the police department would take it seriously. Um, And then upon uh, posting it in um, uh, online and like a neighborhood group uh, website, they neighbors started to gather together and realize I've also been assaulted by this man. I've had a similar situation and more people started to come forward and then more people started to report. But a lot of the difficulties included um, trying to get through to 311. Multiple women said that they were hung up on and one woman eventually just went into the police station um, to to report her assault. And another uh, told me that she was having difficulties following up, getting a, t- a detective signed assigned to her case and even trying to get updated after the man was arrested. My goodness. Mallory, is this a common experience? What what Melody is describing here, a, a possible sexual assault not being taken seriously by law enforcement? Absolutely. A case did a report a few years ago called Too Little Too Late, um, all about CPD's response to sexual assault. And in that report, We pulled data and about 80 to 90 percent of police reports for sexual assault had no follow up, no next steps afterwards. So when I spoke with Melody, everything she said tracked for me. Mm -hmm. Case uh, put out a report called Too Little Too Late, the CPD's response to sex crimes. 
Can you talk more about what you measured, Mallory, and the data that you used? Yes. So it was really difficult to pull the data. Actually, first, let me say I was not responsible for pulling the data. Our amazing policy team did that. And we looked at police reports for criminal sexual assault mm-hmm. and all related sex Well, first crimes. tell me, why did you say it was, was hard to do? Um, CPD, the criminal justice system in Illinois, specifically Cook County, keeps data in ways that is difficult to pull and difficult to track. It is difficult, for example, to pull what happens when a police report is filed and follow that case all the way to prosecution. It's different sets of data. The prosecutor's office, CPD, um, there isn't one centralized system where all the data is kept. So practically and logistically, it was difficult to pull everything. So um, what was the data that you ended up using specifically? So it was mostly from CPD because it was just about their response. And we looked at the police reports for five different categories of sex crimes for a few years to see which ones ended up going to the next level, Mm -hmm. which means bringing a suspect in for an arrest and reviewing the case for felony charges and then how many actually got approved for felony charges, which, again, like I said, was pretty difficult to track. And the numbers were astonishingly low. And when Melody and I spoke, I said, I wonder what those numbers would be like since we are in COVID if we pulled them recently. Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if it was and a higher number of police reports that went nowhere. Yeah, you found that the rate of reporting sexual assault has actually gone up in the past decade. Yes. Which, that surprised me. Uh, What do you attribute that to? Laws. So in 2017, I believe, the Sexual Assault Incident Procedure Act was passed. And it mandated that officers have to take police reports for sexual assault. I remember when I first started a case, sometimes, like Melody said, calling 311, you weren't able to get in. You would call 911 and ask. Officers would not necessarily be willing in all instances to come make a police report. And I think also social media, Me Too, society, um, the conversations about sexual assault just became more open and fluid. Oh, my goodness. Um The rates of arrests and sexual offenses, as you said, they've not gone up proportionately in comparison to other violent crimes. Can you explain your findings there? I have in 2019, there were 495 murders reported, for instance, right? And over 2,000 sex offenses, uh, there were 130 murder arrests and only 140 arrests for the sex crimes, which is wild. (sighs) I wish I could explain it. I don't actually have an explanation. I think some of it has to do with society. I'm always going to blame society and their response to sexual assault. My boss often calls it the monster myth about who perpetrators of sexual assault actually are when statistically most perpetrators are acquaintances. Acquaintance rape statistically um, outweigh stranger rapes, for example. And I think those kind of misconceptions bleed over into police response. It is not just CPD. It is a national problem with how law enforcement responds to sexual assault. Well, Melody, what did the CPD have to say when you reached out for comment? Um, They didn't really have anything to say. Um, When I had brought up some of the difficulties that a lot of the survivors told me about, they had no comment. Um, And then with the survivor that I had most recently um, been talking to, you know, she 
gave me her case number and I requested what charges are in relation to this case number. And they responded, well, we can't really tell you yet. Um, we're, we're still investigating. We are uh, we, we still need um, to basically figure out if this man is connected to her case. Um, but even though that the survivor had said she was she was adamant that uh, that this was the man that had assaulted her and had previously been in contact with CPD to possibly come into a line come in to identify him in a lineup yeah and um, just never received a response to come in back to you Mallory I know you you gave that great quote from your boss a moment ago but what else do you think needs to change about just the way that law enforcement agencies handle these claims of sexual violence. Oh, that's such a big question. The first step, I think we have to acknowledge, the criminal justice system was not made for survivors. It was not made for victims at all. doesn't matter what kind of crime you're talking about. But the crime of sexual assault specifically, the trauma related to it makes it even more important to acknowledge that the system was not made for survivors. I think having transparency and clear communication one of the difficulties survivors often have is this system is difficult to navigate and there are few people that are there just for the survivor to help them understand. Um, Right now we know CPD is very short-staffed and limited resources. And so when you're dealing with a topic and in a system that is already not made for survivors Mm. and then you are short-staffed and short resources, it's truly a recipe for disaster. And I think that's why survivors related to this groping situation are struggling and having the experiences that they are. Yeah. You see, the system is difficult to navigate overall for for these survivors. So if there was one thing that you would say that that CPD or any suburban police department could do today to better protect survivors, what would that one thing be? Listen. I think just listening. Almost every survivor I've spoken to and represented in court, no matter what the outcome of the case was, individuals that listened to them Mm -hmm. and made them feel heard made the process easier and more tolerable. One detail that stuck out to me, Melody, um, in your your story, uh, the survivor story that you reported yesterday, was she had to repeat her story four times? Four times. She said she had to repeat it four times, um, and they took her information down and created a report and then eventually went and and she said she went into some very graphic details which I won't share in the air but um she uh said you know she explained it four times eventually when a uh detective was assigned to her case um that detective called her and said I just need more details again about yourself because basically just said what's it, what's listed here is is that your assault was basically just a butt slap and she said describing it in that moment that she's like, I really felt like they didn't listen to me. I felt like a joke. I felt... Um, Did she feel like she wasn't believed? It, it, in a way, it, you know, she said, I just, I feel like a joke. I feel like this is not being taken seriously. Um, it was more than a slap. I've been slapped on my butt before, and this was way more than that and just, way more invasive. Just exactly. a butt slap, he said, right? Exactly. Quote. It seems to me, Mallory, and I'm no expert... Having to repeat a story like that four times, however many times, that sounds like it could re-traumatize an individual. Absolutely. At the very least, it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting. What do you think? Oh, yeah. 
when so one of the things that the legal team at case does is represent survivors in the criminal justice system and we can start that representation at the filing of the police report all the way until the case goes to trial and one of the things we do is try to limit the story the amount of times that the survivor has to tell their story um the law i spoke about earlier says that when an officer takes a police report, it should be pretty bare bones. That particular police report Mm -hmm. maybe should have had some more information. But one of the reasons why you want it to be bare bones is to not traumatize the survivor to tell the story so many times. Um, Theoretically, we prefer for the detective interview to be one of the first times that the survivor tells the story. And if the case is charged as a felony, at felony review. When the prosecutors come in, that is another time the survivor should tell the story. And we like to wrap it up there until trial because, again, the re-traumatization is absolutely happening. It's a real thing. I want to note, Melody, that there were two other individuals that you spoke with um, who eventually had a better experience with detectives. What were their stories? Um, so those were the two individuals that said they, they initially had a really hard time getting through through the 311 number and following up with uh, a detective. But they said once their cases were assigned to the detective that's actually been looping all of these cases together, that their experience did dramatically improve and said that they felt that the person assigned to their case was really dedicated and they did feel that. But um, again, there are other survivors sort of waiting to get into that space to feel that like specialized attention that just haven't gotten that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we, I I feel like we also can't deny that um, a lot of this sort of became fast tracked after um, a lot of the media began to pick it up and, and, everyone started to see this man's face everywhere mm-hmm. um, and, recognizing, and, and him. recognizing him. Yeah. It's funny that those differences in, in experiences all from the same department, right? So it, it seems so person to person. Yes. Why mm-hmm. isn't everybody trained to treat this the same way mm. is what's at top of mind for me. So what comes next in this case, Melody, and your reporting on it? Um, so I, I've continued to follow up with this particular individual. and You're staying in touch with survivors? Yes. Yes, I have been. And just checking in to see how they, how they are um, in the process. And then the particular survivor mentioned in the most recent story, um, trying to, you know, make sure um, it will when she receives her police report and sort of um, when they will loop her into the case and when she will see uh, see some more um, action on her side in terms of uh, being more involved. I know that Maller and I talked about next steps um, and, and whether or not, you know, she might be contacted as the case goes forward uh, to try to loop her back in. But no, we've yeah. definitely stayed in contact. That's great. You know, as we wrap up here, Mallory, I wonder if you could give advice to folks listening right now, um, maybe people who are reporting a crime like this, new or old, mm-hmm. what approach should they take? Or, or is there a resource that you want to throw out there right now? Yeah, I would say the Rape Crisis Hotline is an awesome resource. They are the most centralized hub in Illinois to get access to an attorney like the ones at Case or a rape crisis advocate or any kind of case management that an individual may need. The system, again, is very difficult to navigate and wasn't made for survivors. And so any resources that an individual can have can be extremely helpful. While you're here, I got to get your thoughts on um, the importance of the R. Kelly trial Mm -hmm. and um, 
whether you think it might bring more attention to the work of CASE. Oh, absolutely. I think it's an important moment for survivors to know. I mean, I'm born and raised in Chicago. The story is about R. Kelly. Um, so this, this, hits, <laughs> this hits different. Yes, it, it absolutely hits different. It's an important moment to know that survivors, especially black and brown survivors, uh, they matter. And they, too, can be a part of uh, getting justice and accountability. Yeah. We've been speaking with Mallory Littlejohn from the Chicago Alliance Against Sexual Exploitation and Melody Mercado for Block Club Chicago. Thank you both. Thank Thank you. you. Today's episode of Reset was produced by Daniel Tucker and mixed by Ethan Schwab. Subscribe to this podcast for your daily dose of conversations on news in Chicago and beyond. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.